From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. If you've been listening to our podcast, and please go back and listen if you haven't, you know that at the end of each episode, I ask the television star I'm interviewing to pose a question to my next guest. I have a question. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, wow. I would just like to know. I would ask her. I would like to ask him. That is tough. What do I want to ask Brian Cox? Ooh, my question would be. Tell him I think he's a slime puppy for that, asking that question. What would I want to know? What would I want to know? I mean, there's plenty of things that I want to know. Um, On this very special bonus episode of Can't Stop Watching, our podcast producer, Paige Timeson, edited all of the questions and answers from the 30 stars I talked to into a single episode. So today, I'm taking a backseat and turning the show over to your favorite TV stars as they ask and answer each other's questions. Our episode starts with David Harbour from Stranger Things, whom I interviewed for the very first episode of this podcast in May. David kicks things off with a question for MJ Rodriguez from Pose. Ooh, wow. Oh, you put me on the spot. I'm so bad at this. Oh, MJ. MJ, what I'd like to ask you, what's the greatest single performance you've ever seen? I think the greatest single-handed performance I've seen, hands down, is Whoopi Goldberg as Miss Daly in The Color Purple. She was heart-wrenching. She was strong. She was also extremely resilient towards the end. And it also separated the stigma of her just simply being a comedian and it showed range as her as an actress. So I think she's definitely, hands down, one of the greatest single performances I've seen. Our next episode in this podcast features an interview with Milo Ventimiglia. What would you want us to ask him? Oh... How is it being able to deal with children, actual children, on a set? <laughs> a blessing and a curse. <laughs> no, it's a uh, you know it's 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 a good reminder of there are so many factors to working with kids. You got to make sure it's safe. You got to make sure it's fun. You got to make sure that you're doing your job well. Here's the thing, like I play father to these kids, but I'm not their dad. But I also want them to know that, hey, if you need anything, you can call me. It's just, it's a tough, tough thing. You know, you're you're constantly aware. You're working with someone that should be on a playground. You're working with someone that should be like out having fun. You're working with someone that is asked to be an adult for whatever amount of time they're on a set for eight hours a day. And that's tough. And also, I mean, the emotions that happen to any of us, you know, the connections you make with your crew, I can't even imagine, you know, like I've gotten pretty good at, oh yeah, you know, I made this friend, I made that friend and this job ended and that's okay. And we'll catch up over coffee. But when you're a kid, I mean, these are monumental relationships, you know, friendships that you're, you're, you're building. And then all of a sudden jobs over, they get taken away. I try to any of the kids that I've worked with, it's like, hey, kid, I'm around. The rest of your life, I'm around. You need advice, you need anything, you need a meal, you need a hug, whatever you need, I'm here for you. You know, And I think a lot of that too kind of came from, I didn't per se have anyone on 
my my coming up as an actor that I could really rely on that had been through a lot of the business. So for me, I think I always want to offer that to the kids that I work with and let them know that, hey, I care about you. I want you to do the best work you can. My job here is to make sure you're better. That's why I work so hard. Like I had a conversation one time with, uh, with Logan Scheuer, who plays uh, Teenage Kevin, and he was really beating himself up over this scene. And we had a long talk and I said, the reason why I put so much effort into what I do is because I want you to be better. I'm giving you everything I got, kid. So you got tools to work off of. That's it. I'm here for you. It's not easy. It is rewarding, but it's uh, it's tough. Yeah, when the five-year-olds want to sit in their chair and just eat cookies, they don't want to go to set. And you got to say, yeah, but how about I come hang out with you? And and they say, no, I want to stay in my chair and eat cookies. But then what you got to do is think abstractly. You got to pick their chair up and you got to fly them to set in a fun way. Then they get excited. They forget about their cookies. And now all they want to do is just be on set. Okay, well, so now the tables are turned to you. Our next guest is Sam Hewen from Outlander. Do you have a question for him? I would just, I would say, you know, who's the first person you're looking forward to hugging and having a face-to-face conversation with once things level out? That's a really tough one. I think, uh, obviously, you know, family, friends. Um, I, I feel like through Zoom and these online meetings, it's been a really great way to stay in touch with people. I so... In a way, I've I've enjoyed that, being able to talk to my friends. And actually, you probably have more conversations with them than I used to before. Um, but the one person, I guess, would be my co-star, Katrina Balf, um, on Outlander. It means that if I get to see her again, it means that we're going back to work. And uh, yeah, I think we're all beginning to miss uh, that sort of normality. Um, and I can't wait to get back into to Outlander in season six. Our next episode in this podcast features an interview with Christine Baranski. Is there a question you would like to ask Christine Baranski? Oh, Christine. Well, I guess, you know, apart from just all of the the regular stuff, like where are you? Are you safe? Going back to her show, you know, how, how do you think this has changed her and her character? But yeah, how is she going to approach things differently? If she's going to approach things differently or will it just go be, you know, back to work? I think when we all go back to work, I I plan to give my colleagues and my crew members the longest hugs. I, we have something so special on that show and we always knew it. But when we all sat in the conference room and Brooke, our producer said, we were shutting down for two weeks. I told everybody how much I'd miss them and how gracefully they behaved the last few weeks when we had to wash our hands and be careful and how professional everybody everybody was. And I didn't know then, and none of us did, that we wouldn't be seeing each other. And we don't know, we don't know where we're headed, but normal sure looks like the greatest luxury and what we had as actors. You can imagine them. The Broadway kids, when they finally get back on the stage, when they finally get back and embrace their colleagues and get to do what they're good at doing and we're liberated from this prison that we're in, I just think we'll have a level of love and appreciation for what we had that's that's just going to make everything deeper and richer and more joyful. That was beautiful. Thanks for that thoughtful response. 
Our next guest will be Betty Gilpin from Glow, and I wonder if you have a question you'd like us to ask her. Oh, well, Betty Gilpin uh, went to school with my daughter, Lily, and Isabel, and I knew Betty just running around, you know, and I read an interview with Betty that was so intelligent. She was so articulate. I would love to know how Betty, as a young actress, see, I've, I've already had most of my careers behind me, but as a young actress looking forward, how does she feel about how would she like at best for this to land? And does she suffer an intense anxiety about the nature of the business? It was always crazy and it was always unpredictable, but does she have any sense of where it's going or does it keep her up at night? <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Leave it to Baranski. You know, I I was recently listening to a podcast with the author George Saunders, and he was talking about how it was like a really great metaphor for the world in his words, where it's like, we're all just Barbies and Kens on top of a sleeping tiger. And sometimes the tiger wakes up and it can, especially in Hollywood, it can feel like our Barbies and Kens logistics and triumphs and failures are the most important thing that are happening. But the tiger's way more important than Barbie getting her crown. Um, and, you know, I was in this movie, The Hunt, that came out Friday the 13th. And then theaters were closed that Sunday, I think. Um, and it was the first movie I'd ever, you know, been the lead in. And, <laughs> and then the tiger woke up. And I just think it was kind of the exact sort of slap in the perspective shift that I needed. I think I was getting a little too worried about Barbie's pageant crown and I need to start thinking about the tiger more because that's actually also as a boring side effect makes better acting work anyway when you're not thinking about how you hate your ears and want to validate the wrongs of your childhood. Think about the tiger. So our next guest will be Julia Garner from Ozark. So do you have a question for her? It doesn't have to be related to the show. It could be about anything. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, I just think she's the future. I, I just, okay, what do I want to ask her? Um, what is your dream role look like for when you are uh, 60 years old? Because right now I feel like she is in this insane pocket of being such an incredible actor and so gorgeously like a Disney princess in a teacup. Like she's so beautiful. And I just think like, it's almost a distraction from how fucking good she is. Excuse my language. Um, <laughs> so I just think like her best work is, is she's just going to work forever and ever. She's amazing. <laughs> I I love her. I really want to do something with her. I don't know what my dream role is that's so it's very interesting it's like I I I feel like everything depends on the last thing that I played so if I'm 60 what was the last thing that I played the year before you know so I I don't know maybe I mean hopefully in the future to act with Betty I mean love her so that would be amazing that's a good answer too so our next guest will be Jane Levy from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist what question do you have that we can ask her I have a question. Was she scared to do all those dancing and singing? How was the memorization and the preparation? Because she was not only memorizing her lines and going over her acting, but 
also having to like memorize steps and lyrics. And I was that. It was so terrifying. I did have a nervous breakdown. I stopped sleeping. I was so terrified that I couldn't pull it off because one, it was new for me, but also I was working on average 14 hours every day. And I had to prep, especially for episode eight, where I sang and dance every number. I had to prep while I was shooting, which just felt like so impossible. And now that I look back, I'm like, Jane, you really didn't have that much to be afraid of. You have this incredible team of support. You know, everyone will hold you up. However, it it does require a whole new set of skills. One, the expression of song and dance is new for me. So then, but then two, I'm acting while doing it. So like, how do I live the number where I, you know, finally confront my father, which was the scariest thing I could imagine and the thing I had been avoiding all day and the reason why my powers glitched in the first place, I was crying and I was also having to sing. And so expressing through song while also feeling so highly emotional that you can't breathe was a brand new experience for me. And ultimately, it was so gratifying. I'm really proud of myself. And I think because it was so scary and because I did it and because I'm I'm proud of the result, I, I do feel changed forever because of that experience. And even though it was terrifying, it was also so much fun because deep down inside, there is somebody who has always wanted to sing and dance. And, you know, when I was a little kid, if I, if my four-year-old self knew that I had this opportunity, she would be exploding. And so being able to honor that person who I feel like I've hidden inside for a long time just felt like a celebration of my desire to express and even to perform. So the preparation was we took three days off of shooting so that I could especially for 108, learn six numbers. Well, before we leave, our next guest is going to be Pamela Adlon, who's, you know, the head, the creator, the the actress of Better Things. What would you like us to ask her? What she loves most about Mae Whitman. Oh, <laughs> um, that I I am partially responsible for raising her and making her the person she is today. I just want to take all the credit for Mae Whitman because she is like, oh, I mean, her mom is one of my mentors in voiceover, Pat Music. And one day we were all like at an event together and Mae was little. She was like eight. And they let me drive Mae to like this other party. And Mae got into my 88 Mustang convertible And there was a picture of Jimi Hendrix with his guitar on fire on my dashboard. And May pointed at it and said, who's that? (laughs) And I gave it to her. And um, there's a synchronicity within our lives. and, And I've always been lucky enough to know her. And then later we did the Tinkerbell movies together. And then we did Parenthood together. And she's just uh mishpucha. She's a member of my family. She's she's just an exceptional person. Her face, that's what I love the most. It's a good face. Well, now we're going to ask you to return the favor. Our next guest will be Katrina Belf from Outlander. 
So if you have a question for her, what would you like us to ask? Oh, okay. Um, is she thinking about how she is going to uh, keep going in the future as an actor and more? Um, am I thinking about the future as an actor and beyond? Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think that I'm quite a forward looking person. And I think in this industry, you constantly want to be challenged by new experiences and, um, evolve. And, and I think, you know, that's not only in playing very different characters to what I'm playing right now, but. Um, doing other things like producing or directing. And, you know, who doesn't want to be Betty White and still be in demand in their 90s? So, yeah. And our next guest will be Tom Pelfrey from Ozark. I'll let you ask him something. Um, I would like to ask him how it feels to walk on to such a beloved series um, in on season three um, is that intimidating or is the excitement, uh, does the excitement override the intimidation? Well, what it was like joining Ozark in its third season was uh, just like stepping into a warm bath. You know, one of the things I said to, to Chris Mundy and Jason Bateman is that they'd ruined me for life. And they're like, why, why? No, no. Like, yeah, this... That show, Ozark, is is just the dream job across every possible dimension. I mean, the entire crew is happy to be there. Everybody's friendly to each other. The atmosphere on set is so efficient and so happy and calm. Um, all of the actors treated me like I'd been there from the beginning. I never felt like I was a guest in someone else's house. I felt like I lived there these invisible things that make your job so much easier. Chris Mundy, the showrunner. I mean, Chris called me and told me the season. Like, that never happens. And it's so useful. You know, as an actor, it is so useful to understand the complete arc because it just makes it easier for you to do your job. But unfortunately, you almost never get that information, especially if you're especially if you're a guest on someone else's show, let alone, I mean, sometimes you don't even get it when it when you're one of the, you know, lead actors on the show. So, you know, that level of trust on his part, that level of Chris understanding what it takes for an actor to do their job and respecting that, and also he's just so friendly and kind. So, like, joining Ozark was, it was a dream. It was just all the things you could ever hope to have from a job and um, very, 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 very special, you know. So they made it very easy for me. We'll be back with more questions and answers from your favorite TV stars after this quick break. In Hollywood, there's no season like award season and the Envelope newsletter is your guide to it all. Get an expert glimpse into the wonderful, and let's face it, sometimes weird, world of entertainment awards with LA Times columnist Glenn Whip. And go inside the business of show business with exclusive coverage leading up to TV and film's most prestigious events. Sign up for our twice-weekly newsletter today at latimes.com backslash envelope newsletter. Welcome to award season. Let the drama unfold. 
And now back to our special bonus episode of Can't Stop Watching. Our next guest will be Justina Machado from the modern day reboot of One Day at a Time. So what question would you like us to ask her? I would ask her, I would ask her, what's her, ask her for her list of, what's her checklist for wanting to take a job? Ooh, what is my checklist for wanting to take a job? Uh, well, assuming I'm in a good position because actors have been in positions where you got to throw that checklist out because you're like, oh, wow, I ain't had a job in a long time. So let's say I'm now in my checklist. The character has to have integrity. The character has to have depth. The character has to have an arc and the character has to, has to mean something and say something. And it doesn't matter how big the part is or how small the part is, or how unimportant it is, because we always think, oh, man, this is nothing. Actors do that all the time. I do it too. So I'm guilty of saying, oh, I'm not really in that. I have like a little part, which, you know, that's what we're trained to think. That's what we're trained to say. And then you look and you're like, no, that was integral. That was an amazing. And that was important to the story. So all of those things. I don't need to be the like the most likable person. I don't need to be I don't I can be a villain. I can be anything. It doesn't matter as long as it's layered, there's integrity and there is absolutely no freaking stereotype to it. Amen. <laughs> well, <laughs> our next guest is funny man Danny McBride. What question do you have for him? Love that guy. He's so funny. I love his hair. I love the guy. So yes, I want to know: is this a is this a Danny McBride choice or is this a character choice? Or, or if that's his hair all the time. And either way, it's brilliant. <laughs> it was it was a character choice. It was definitely not my choice as far as like personal life going. It felt very befitting of Kenny Powers. It felt like something that he would have maintained when he was very famous and that like holding on to it even now that he has no money just feels like it's a sign of elegance. <laughs> okay, so now we're turning the tables. Our next guest will be Ricky Gervais. What question would you like us to ask him? Oh, wow. I would just like to know uh, from him, like, why has he never called? Why has he never reached out? Doesn't he know how much I like everything he's made? Why won't he just call and ask if I want to participate? Oh, what a lovely, oh, what, I love things like that. I absolutely love things like that. Whether well, the answer is, I'm so lazy, I just work with my mates and I've never met him. But that's, a, that's fantastic. And he's fantastic. When, I got, when I've got someone that isn't set in a quaint British village called Tambury, <laughs> I'll call him. Oh, that's lovely. Hi, Danny. Thank you. I think you're brilliant. So tomorrow's guest is Succession's J. Smith Cameron. And what question would you like us to ask her? Okay. Um, okay. If the universe is only 13.5 uh, billion years old and given the the speed of light and the occurrence of the big bang why is the universe more than 26 billion miles <laughs> <laughs> oh you put me on the spot i don't even understand that question so i not not only have no answer i don't even remember how the sentence started <laughs> Uh, what the hell? <laughs> that is Ricky Gervais being, um, I don't know him, but that's very silly and naughty. I think that Jerry would box his ears and tell him to go in the bathroom, work it out for himself, 
take a scratch pad in there, come out when he's sorted himself out. <laughs> you could tell him that from me, all right? <laughs> tell him I think he's a slime puppy for that asking that question. So I think you'll do maybe a better job of throwing a question to our next guest, which is Watchmen's Tim Blake Nelson. He's so creative and he's a writer and he's an actor and I've known him for a long time, not super well, but I have known him. What immediately comes to mind is I wonder what Tim Blake Nelson is thinking creatively about writing and characters and situations that result from this pandemic. What is clicking in the back of his mind about something he would want to creatively express about people in a lockdown? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a big project right now, which I've been working on for over a year. And when the virus happened, it suddenly all felt so trivial. And I was really despairing over that. And then I realized, well, that's kind of the point, that the virus has trivialized so much of what seemed important before it. And so I guess I've gone back, and a lot of my work during the last several months has been to put the virus on the narrative edge of what I was working on, so that it's always this impending thing about to happen. It's referred to throughout the story by characters in a dismissive way. And then suddenly at the end, it's perceived as quite real. So I guess my answer to Jay's question, and and that's quite a compliment coming from Jay, given not only her talent, but that of her husband, it's to reflect on what seemed so important before the virus and, and, and also to understand that actually it was important. Our next guest will be Mandy Moore of This Is Us. And what question do you have to her? It does not have to be about the show, just an actor to actor question. You're so adept at, at music and performance and also so clearly a whole and healthy person. Do you look at them in a compartmental way or is it all a coherent force that is Mandy Moore? Honestly, I think this is the loveliest question I've ever received. So thoughtful. Thank you, sir. Uh, I guess when it comes to music and performance or acting, like there is a bit of compartmentalizing, um, unless there's sort of a combination of both. Like I obviously get to, um, to sing a bit on This Is Us. So I, I feel like there's an interesting combo there, but otherwise I do feel like I'm wearing different hats and with music, it's fully myself and I have no character to sort of hide behind. So there's a certain vulnerability that comes along with making music and writing and performing in that regard that I don't necessarily feel or have when I'm acting. So now we turn the tables to you, Mandy. Our next guest will be Brian Cox, who plays the media mogul and curse word master Logan Roy in Succession. What question do you have for him? And it does not have to be related to the show. (gasps) Oh, gosh. That is tough. What do I want to ask Brian Cox? Um, okay. I have a silly question for Brian Cox, but I am curious who in the cast is most like their character on the show. And then if I could ask a second question, (laughs) I'd be curious if they are told in advance where their character arc is going. 
It's very hard to say. I think it's all, it's all very much performed. You know, they, they are great performances. So there's nobody that's really like anybody. I mean, they are all alike. They they have elements of themselves, you know, but on the whole, they're very separate. Well, now I'm going to turn the tables to you because our next guest is Uzo Aduba from Mrs. America. And do you have a question for her? And it does not have to relate to her show. Okay. How did she find getting work? How difficult was her? Was it for her? I mean, I guess I got my first job two months after I moved to New York. But it paid me exactly zero dollars and zero cents. <laughs> so I, I, I got a job, but I was still working my day job. Um, I think I found it, I think, you know, like, I think it was just like, to me anyway, it was any New York actors grind. Um, but I was very determined, very hardworking. Let me say this. It's like, I think, I don't know how I knew this, but cause I didn't like come from like having like a bunch of artists in my life outside of college, you know, who were working professionally, but I did know it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be hard. And I remember my mom telling me to like, just work so hard. And I knew this was going to be the hardest thing I was going to have to do. So it was like, I waited tables and worked and did that for quite, quite a few jobs that I was working, you know, like every New Yorker, you know, and I'm sure the same in LA, you know, like working an acting gig, but you're still waiting and serving um, because it's not, making and meet, but I, but I didn't care. I loved what I was, I loved every one of those projects. Um, well, we're now going to have you ask the question for our next guest, if you don't mind. And that is Jean Smart from Watchmen. Ooh, my question would be, Jean, why do you still do it? <gasps> Good question. Well, I mean, there, there's some obvious reasons, you know, it's, it's, uh, pays the bills and, you know, and, and I'm still enjoying it. So as long as I'm still enjoying it, but I really do feel this way. And, and <laughs> one day on the set or one night, one rainy night on the set recently, Kate Winslet, <laughs> she was having to do this, this one kind of unpleasant scene over and over and over and over. And it was starting to rain and it, and it was crack of dawn and, she said, remind me why we do this again. <laughs> and I said, because we are the tribe's storytellers. I said, tribes have to have storytellers. It is a very, very, very important role. It's a very important job. I said, and that's who we are. And that's why we do it. That shut her up. <laughs> I love it. Our next guest will be Gugu Mbatara from The Morning Show. What question do you have for her? Oh, okay. Do you think it's important as an actor to be a role model as well? Uh, I think it's a privilege. I think it's a, a privilege to, to, you know, do what we do. And I think at a certain point, I don't know if you can, if you can choose to be a role model, I think you can, you can choose to, to make authentic choices. You know, people, it's other people that make you a role model. I think ultimately people, people decide if they're, they're vibing with what you do or they're inspired by what you do. 
Um, you can't make yourself a role model in isolation. But um, I think it's important to do things that speak to people. And I think it's important to to be authentic. I think there are types of or there are ways to put messages into the world and hopefully inspire people. And they're not always comfortable, not always comfortable issues um, that, that you can actually explore through art a little bit more easily. Okay, Gugu. Now I'm going to ask you to put on your interviewer hat and ask a question of our next guest, Nicholas Braun. What have you learned about yourself in this time? What did I learn about myself? I learned that I really hate working out. Um, I thought I knew that before when gyms were still a thing. But once you start trying to do push-ups on the ground and do sit-ups um, next to your bed, like that's a, it was a different kind of hate um, for working out. I really wish I could love it. Some of my friends were doing really well doing Zoom workout classes, and I would get on there and I just eventually started hiding from the camera lens so that they didn't see that I just wasn't doing anything. Um, I don't know why it was just so upsetting. So, so yeah, that was, that was a, a major um, discovery, let's say. So now it's your turn. Our next guest will be Jim Parsons, best known for playing Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. He can currently be seen in Netflix's Hollywood. What question would you like us to ask Jim? Okay, that's cool. Um, hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. It's Nick here. Um, Jim, what's the weirdest day you ever had on set? On any project, what is a memorably weird day? Oh, shit. Oh, the pressure. I mean, look, life on set is always a little bit odd. Let me tell you that. You know what I'm going to go with? And I mean this in the most respectful way it's possible to say. Uh, I'm going to go with the most current one for me, which was during Hollywood. And it was at the Q-Core party during the pool scene. I have never been exposed to so many naked people at one time in my entire life. And I've been to gay bars in New York 15 years ago, even. So that was, and now nothing was quote unquote going on, but not only were they surrounding us, we were in a scene where I had to talk about, talk about them. We were staring at them on purpose. And I, I had such an admiration for the way the relationship that everybody out there, greater than mine at least, had to their body of just like, well, it's a body. I I don't like to walk around my house naked. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't want to sound like a prude. That's not what I. That's not what I'm getting at. I wasn't. Un, well, I won't say I was uncomfortable because that sounds crass. But but um, it was it was that was a weird day. That was a weird day. I'm so happy to have been asked a question by cousin Greg. Well, now we're going to ask you to play along and ask a question for our next guest. And it's a fellow veteran of a long-running sitcom, Jason Siegel, who people know from CBS's How I Met Your Mother. He is now appearing on AMC's Dispatches from Elsewhere. Okay. What would I want to know? What would I want to know? I mean, there's plenty of things that I want to know. Um, I would want to know Jason... What was, what was the 
Well, no, let's get it more general. Assuming that you, well, I don't know if he still auditions anymore, but did he ever, did he used to, or maybe still does, did have a feeling after going to an audition like, I think I got that? Um, because I've gone both ways on this personally in that I've walked out of rooms with that weird sensation of knowing I got it, and then I did. But I've also plenty of times gone home and been like, that was awful. I mean, I really feel embarrassed. And then a call comes in that you got it, and you're like, I don't understand the world at all. So I, w- I guess I want to know is, that, it's a little more complicated than a simple yes or no or whatever, but it's like, is, is that something he experiences or did experience in his time? Was a, kind of a sixth sense about um, auditions. Sometimes the sixth sense was right and sometimes it was just shit. That's a great question. Um, the only time I ever felt like, oh, I just got that was Freaks and Geeks. But I had the arrogance and naivety of youth. It was one of my very early auditions and I was like 18 years old. And uh, it may have just been a coincidence that I got it because I think I felt that way about everything. I think everything I was doing, I was like, I nailed that. <laughs> I definitely nailed that. <laughs> now I'm asking you to return the favor and ask a question to our next guest. And that is Matthew McFadian, who plays Tom on Succession. My question for Matthew is, have you ever worked with somebody who gave you a piece of advice or ammunition for your career that you still think about today? And what was that piece of advice? Um, I did, I'd, I'd have to think about that. I, Michael Gambon, I worked with, I've worked with twice and he's, he's a wonderful actor. And, um, but I did a TV show with him and he played my dad. And then I've done something else and a couple of things in the theater, but he was, he was not a big advice giver, but he would, he would say things that were very, very lovely and thoughtful and generous. He was very, very kind and funny and a sort of anarchic. He is very, very, but he was to me at that time. So, um, so yeah, Michael Gamble. But I don't. Yeah, the th- and the things he said. It, it's sort of difficult to difficult to remember exactly. So I won't say. Well, now I'm going to ask you to pay it forward and ask a question to our next guest, who will be JB Smoove from HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. Um, can you please get me on your show? <laughs> Would that be okay? Please and thank you. You've got to ask these things, haven't you? <laughs> um. I don't think that's any problem since we are of the HBO family. And I think that um, we should do the old switcheroo. I call it the switcheroo. I show up as you and you show up as me. See how easy that is? And But, but we, we don't say anything. We just show up. We just show up on set as each other. You know how awesome that would be? Oh, man. I would, shoot, I would, film, I would film that just to see everyone's face. But that's what it is, man. That's what life is, man. Life is smiles and, and, and understanding people and who we are. And, oh, man, you know how awesome that would be, man. We can do that. I don't think that's an issue. You know, we are part of the same family. So, uh, HBO family. So I don't see that being an issue at all. Uh, I look forward to, uh, seeing you on set then, man. Well, now, now I'm going to ask you to uh, ask our next guest a question. Our next guest is going to be Penn Badgley from Netflix's drama You. Since you're on a show called You, I want to hear your rant 
on me. Woo! I need him timed. I need him timed. No, no, a minute straight, a minute straight, a minute straight, nonstop, nonstop minute. Woo! That's sweet. Woo! Nonstop rant. Oh, that is, that's a brilliant request. And I feel so put on the spot by, of all people, like I respect him so much as, a, as an actor and a, like a comic force. I can't do that right now. I cannot do that. <laughs> I, you know what I would like to say? I would like to say that I will do this and I will, I will, I will release it, but I can't, I can't do that on the spot. That's not the kind of space I'm in. I, I feel like I would, I feel like I would say something. <laughs> yeah, not, not now, not now, not in this climate. Well, I'm going to ask you to grab the baton and hand off the question to our next guest, late night host, James Corden. Wow. Um, I want to ask him what it felt like to have Stevie Wonder sing to his, was it his wife? I remember seeing him tear up with Stevie Wonder in the car. And I just want to know, I want to know what that felt like. The thing I, I don't think many people know about um, when Stevie Wonder called my wife is she didn't know that he was going to call and was actually in a restroom she was having lunch with a friend and she'd gone to the restroom and I called and she says it was just the most bizarre kind of moment she could ever experience being in like a bathroom stall kind of um listening to Stevie Wonder sing this uh I found it beyond moving and if I ever sort of catch it if it's ever shown or anything now it still I'm still as soon as I hear him singing it to her, I'm back in the car and my whole body, every hair on my, you know, body stands up. It was uh, a special moment for sure. And now I'm going to ask you to ask a question of our next guest, Davine Joy Randolph. What would you like to ask her? Well, I would like to say, Davine, that I think she was so brilliant in Dolomite Is My Name. My question would be, I don't know if I would be able to keep my cool around Eddie Murphy. Was this a thing for her? And did she have to take any deep breaths? Or was it just kind of cool and great from the off? Um, very good question. To be honest, I had always been a major fan of him as well, uh, especially with uh, Nutty Professor. That whole era was when I was really like, yo, this man is everything, playing all these different characters and nailing them. Due to my audition experience uh, and process, I auditioned several times, uh, and many callbacks. And though I actually never auditioned with him and my first time meeting him was our first day on set, uh, I, in the audition process and getting notes from him and the execs, I began to quickly understand and see the world in which they were wanting to play with for this show Dolomite and how they wanted this character to be depicted. So in regards to acting, I felt very clear and comfortable with knowing where they wanted to go. So I had confidence in approaching this role and the blessing in doing all these callbacks I had more and more opportunities. To me, they felt more like work sessions that I was able to really nail down 
and pinpoint where they wanted to go. And, you know, being that he loves to transform it to his characters, that was um, by default then applied on me as well in wanting to have me, you know, do a dialect and get into full costume and, you know, mimic her gestures and laugh and stuff like that. Um, so that a time it was time to go, I was good to go. Um, and when I first met him, he was very kind, um, and reassuring and he called me his lady Reed. So I felt cool and like, okay, <laughs> he feels good about this choice. He's, he's cool with the, me being cast as this newbie, as opposed to if it were to have been a more established actress or perhaps even once, perhaps even someone that he worked with in the past. So I think once that, immediately got cleared up for me before we even started shooting on that first day. Then I was able to relax and just enjoy him. Um, and I think it, he appreciated that, that I didn't, you know, was like, oh my God, do you know who you are? <laughs> and said, I just treated him like, you know, a regular guy who cares about what he's doing and really put his heart into it. So, Okay, Davine, what would you like to ask our next guest? the legendary actor, Michael Douglas. And my question is, due to the climate, a movie like Falling Down is very topical even now. When you did Falling Down, did you know the impact this movie would have? What was that experience like filming and creating that iconic character? No, I, I, I mean, the script, Ebby Rose Smith wrote the script and it, and it really struck home uh, to me, even though they were developing at the time as a so-called cable, cable movie, but you know it was it was uh, it was after the Vietnam uh, the Vietnam War, and all of a sudden, and I know it's like hard for a lot of people to realize because you've been in LA your whole life, but besides the uh, the film industry, Los Angeles was also you know led in the defense industry, and uh, so I you know, clearly understood, you know, a guy, a very patriotic guy working in the defense industry and for a country that had been so successful, the war was over, the war was over and they pink slipped. All these guys working there patriotically to defend our country. I saw the nucleus of that, of somebody boiling over with the rage of what's wrong with this picture or here I am as the American and all the things that have gone wrong and taking off on, on a racist attack uh, in a couple of places. But I did not know uh, at the time, although I did think it was hitting a, a, a zeitgeist, you know, a, a, a moment. And I do like that picture a lot. Well, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed our special bonus episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening. And remember, we'll be back with more episodes of Can't Stop Watching next month.